0: Out of the box. Out of the box. Out of the box. Meet people through their music.
1: With Heidi Pett on FBI 94.5. Hello and welcome to the show for another week. Big thank you to Stephen Ferris. He's been hanging out with you for the last little while. You can head to fbiradio.com. Go to the programs and playlists grid if you're interested in any of the stuff that he played for you. And I want to also say a huge thank you to Stu Buchanan. He guest hosted the show last week, had an interview with Grant Morrison, who's an extremely well-known comic. I was a bit sad to miss out on that one, but it's a really great interview. I definitely recommend go back, listen to it on demand. You can do that by heading to the Out of the Box program page on fbiradio.com. My name is Heidi Patton, back in the chair with you this week, and I've got Bill Demas joining me in the studio. Now, he's currently one of the directors of Ambush Gallery, but he seems to have got there through a pretty interesting route. You worked in fashion, then you were quite involved in the commercial world and in property management, which seems kind of a an odd route to get to gallery management, but we'll have a bit of a chat about that after this. What have you brought into play for us?
2: Hi, Heidi. Thank you for having me on your show. Um, What I've brought in today is a little bit of uh, Rufus, uh, Junior Boys, uh, Moderat and Vanshee, uh, amongst other Australian um, talent.
1: It's a really fun-looking playlist, and something that you mentioned a little bit earlier was that a lot of it is really new stuff which kind of ties into what you seem to be doing with Ambush. You were saying, you know, art history is great, but I'm not super into it. I'm interested in what we're doing right now, which I thought was an interesting kind of comment, something I'd like to explore with you. Great. But we might kick off with a song. What should we start with?
2: Um, uh, Let's um, start with with Kids of 88 uh, from the Sugar Pills um, album back in 2010 with a track Just a Little Bit.
1: Is there a particular reason that you love this one?
2: Um, yes, there is. Um, it's uh, a soundtrack. Uh, it's, it's basically uh, my soundtrack from a trip to New Zealand with uh, John, my partner, John Wiltshire. Um, and it brings uh, really beautiful memories uh, back um, um, back in my mind, I suppose.
1: Let's have a listen to it. This is Out of the Box on FBI Radio. It's around three minutes past midday. one was a really fun tune, Kids of 88. It was brought in by my guest on Out of the Box today. His name is Bill Demas. And you were saying you listened to that one a lot when you were traveling around New Zealand with your partner and co-director of the gallery.
2: Yes, uh, we did. It was actually a fun summer uh, holiday in New Zealand, uh, camper vanning around um, the North and the South Island. And I remember this song uh, coming on on the radio and, um, and the fact that it was, um, a New Zealand, um, band, you know, it was pretty amazing. And I just remember we were driving in a valley. Uh, it was just the most beautiful picturesque, you know, place. Um, and it just came on and it just brought this amazing energy. Um, yeah, it was just really nice to, you know, being in New Zealand and also, uh, listening to, uh, really cutting edge, Um, music coming out of New Zealand as well.
1: Because we were just having a bit of a discussion. You brought in a lot of Australian artists and a lot of Australian electronic artists. um, And that interview that Flume gave a little while ago where he was saying, you know, Australia has this very definite sound and people are trying to imitate it. And it seems like you're quite a big fan of that particular sound.
2: Yeah, I I, I, I agree. I think uh, Australia has uh, developed a unique sound in the electro uh, genre. Um, And yes, uh, uh, there are a lot of uh, international bands that are trying to imitate, uh, which is a really nice form of flattery. yeah, there's, uh, there's a great explosion of um, music coming out of Australia in the last maybe three or four years uh, with, um, you know, bands like uh, Rufus and Vanshee and Cut Copy, you know, and Flume as well. Um, yeah, it's really, really great time for Australian music at the moment.
1: We touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but you, as you said, you, you're working with your partner and your co-director at the gallery um, and you kind of got through, through a very strange sort of career path. Um, you moved to Greece as a kid and you were there until you were about 16 or so, and then you came back to Australia and then started working in fashion. How did that come about?
2: Oh, uh, no. When when I was 16, I was still in no, high No, obviously. <laughs> yeah. You
1: didn't immediately come back and be like, I'm just going to work for Versace. Don't even worry uh. about it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, um, it, it, it has been an interesting career path, um, but uh, it all made sense. Um, it was uh, a, a journey um, that led me to this point, uh, which all made sense, you know, so there were uh, little building blocks um, to enable me to do what I love the best, um, which is being in creative industries and um, especially working with artists and uh, working in the street art genre is magnificent, you know, and um, working with such a an amazing uh group of artists um mainly australian artists you know who uh display such a great sense of comradeship and you know helping each other out to um to elevate um and us being part of that you know and being able to get amongst it you know and them allowing us to assist in the best way that we can is great it's actually a a really great thrill
1: so yeah, you did. You eventually left fashion. I would like to talk to you about you know why that was and your ideas about fashion because we were having a really really interesting chat about that before. But we might listen to something else that you brought into play for us. You got a Miami Horror song.
2: Yes, um, uh, we love Miami Horror. Um, their first album, Illumination, was sensational, um, and um, one of the tracks uh, that I absolutely love is Summersun. And it's from the 2010 album called Illumination.
1: Is there a particular reason for this one or you just really, really like it? Because that's also okay.
2: Um, look, uh, I, I love The Outdoors and it's uh, an album that I listen to a lot while um, on the beach um, and um, just lying there in the sun.
0: It's a good
1: beach so, tune. Yes, Let's have a listen it to is. it now.
0: Summer sun
1: That one's a tune by Miami Horror. You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Heidi Pett and this week I'm joined by Bill Demas who chose that particular tune. You were saying you like to listen to it on the beach and I can really see why. We were just having a bit of a chat about kind of how you ended up doing what you're doing, which is being a co-director of Ambush Gallery and you are saying you worked in fashion for quite a while um, and managed to step up quite a few ladders there. You were working for Versace, which I think... People who are interested in fashion are going to be sitting there going, why would you leave?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think people that are listening in, they would know why I left. But um, no, it was um, um, was straight out of um, uh, uni after traveling for a couple of years. I came back to uh, Sydney and uh, yes, my first professional job was with uh, a a big brand um, fashion label. Uh, At the time it was called Gianni Versace. Um, and it was interesting. I actually joined the company, uh, when Gianni was, uh, in the month that Gianni, uh, was actually shot. So, um uh, yeah, it was quite devastating for the whole company because there was a big company restructure immediately. So, uh, yeah, it was a very interesting time and it was also, uh, the first year that the label opened up in Australia. Therefore it was still in a set up stages. Um, so I was quite lucky. I actually started as a sales and marketing person and, um, I had a career there for about five years and, um, then I've just moved my way up into buying roles. Um, where i'd uh, buy collections like the couture and ready to wear and um and uh, but the most fascinating thing about that brand is um the 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 creative genius that was behind it which was gianni versace because it wasn't just about the clothes it was uh, a lot about design and collaborations with photographers and um publishing books and um you know creating these amazing advertising campaigns and um you know, and also collaborating with um, uh, contemporary artists and doing printmaking, um, you know, textiles and homewares and makeup and furniture. And, um, yeah, the label was uh, like a, a little mini department store, basically, with um, all these different product lines. And um, it was just really fascinating actually being amongst it and um, and then just really seeing the, the level of detail that was... Uh, put behind the, the actual brand and, uh, coming out of uni and, um, you know, where I majored in marketing and sociology, uh, working for a brand like that, that was so well polished and, um, it was, took so long to, uh, to get uh, itself established to that point. And, um, just seeing, um, just being surrounded by the creative, uh, genius of it, it was a real learning curve for me and uh, it really opened up my eyes um, with how fashion is being packaged and uh, especially at that brand level and how it's filtered into the marketplace Um, and then the marketplace is free to interpret it the way they want so that's when the story changes.
1: Because we were having a little bit of a discussion earlier about how I find high fashion quite inaccessible. It seems like this world where you need to know the history and you need to know the references that people are making in certain collections and you need to spend you know 90% of your time on style.com looking at runway images and that kind of thing. And so the world of high fashion and the name Versace to me immediately puts things in a box of don't understand, very expensive.
2: Um, well, yeah you're right to think that um but at the same time um if uh, you, you can appreciate it for its um creativity and um the uh and the design aspect of it you don't necessarily have to buy it um but you can uh, appreciate it but with these big fashion houses they do um they 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 want to be accessible therefore uh, the the very first step that big brands uh, made were to create uh sunglasses um and that was a way for uh, these big fashion houses you know, to make their brands accessible uh, and and for people to wear these big logos on the side of their faces.
1: For people who've been to Southeast Asia over the last 10 years or so, I'm guessing they're not quite that stoked about the level of accessibility of their brand now, though. Talking, you know, cheap knockoffs and all that kind of stuff is like making our brand accessible and then making our brand worth Fifty cents. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> mm, that's another story in itself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you did eventually leave Versace. Why was that?
2: uh, uh everybody evolves, um, and th- it was time for me to move on from there. And um, I moved on for another opportunity. I actually, um, my next job was. Uh, I worked for a big gallery um, in the Rocks. Um, I worked for an artist called Charles, Charles Billich, um, who um, at the time. I uh, had a, a very big gallery right next door to Ken Um it was my first exposure into um the the art world. Um and how it operates um on a commercial level. So it was a very interesting uh experience for me. I only had a lifespan of about 1 year working there before I made a decision that um yeah, it was time for me to go
1: because it seems that the ethos of ambush is quite different to that very very commercial sort of environment which is something that i did want to talk to you about we might have a listen to another one of the songs that you brought in you're pretty keen to to play this one
2: yes um it is uh, uh, uh bonobo it's a track by bonobo from the black sands um album and it's eyes down the track is eyes down featuring andrea triana
1: you're listening to Out of the Box. This is FBI Radio with Heidi Pat, and this week, Bill Dimas. was Bonobo with Black Sands from an album which they brought out back in 2010 and my guest Bill Dimas has chosen to bring it in and play for you on Out of the Box today. Now we were just having a a bit of a chat about the time you spent at Versace and then also working for Charles Village which was you're saying a a very commercial kind of art environment where you only lasted about a year. but you've also spent time in by a, choice but by choice yeah no they didn't kick you out. you chose to leave. Um, but you also spent time in another quite commercial environment. you're doing property management and working with lendlease for a while.
2: Um, no, not just lendlease, but I worked for a, a big uh, property uh, group uh, which was a boutique um, boutique company. Uh, we worked with um, uh, major property owners around Australia, uh, including lendlease and uh, GPT and AMP. Um, and, uh, and that, that was a, um, a great career. Um, I worked in brand and marketing and advertising, um, where, um, I worked on national portfolios and, um, yeah, so that's, um, that's, uh, f- f- for me, that corporate environment has been a great, uh, discipline, uh, a great. Discipline, um, which um, I've been able to apply into um, into our current business, and uh, also um, through to Ambush Gallery as well.
1: See, I'm not even really entirely sure what property management is, or what that involves.
2: Um, yeah, it's not your. It's not real estate. so Let's uh, clarify that. Um, a property management is uh, a, a lot of banks and um, a big property uh, groups. They have asset portfolios, um, so they have massive real estate investments, um, whether the commercial towers or shopping centres, those types uh, where retail portfolios exist, um, which is what makes um, the value uh, of each property. So um, so we uh, so I worked for a company that was a boutique service where we, um, uh, there was a department where they do property management, um, you know, managing financials. Um, and, uh, there was another department which I used to run, which was, um, marketing and branding. Um, so basically, uh, packaging up the look and feel and the brand and, um.
1: So like marketing and branding of commercial space or.
2: Yes. uh, Commercial and retail space, you know, so, um, uh, from office towers to, um, to shopping centers.
1: And I was kind of prodding you before because people have this idea of fashion as this really like catty, exciting world where everyone has really great stories and you were a bit hesitant about that. But do you have any really good stories from your time in property management?
2: Oh, in uh, in property management? Um, yeah, uh, nothing really that tops mind right now. Um, but um, but definitely uh, some really great stories um, in in, um, in the fashion uh, world. Um, um, I remember... I'm not sure if everyone remembers, but uh, the the Gianni Versace uh ex, uh exhibition uh, tour toured around the world and he started at the Met Museum in uh in New York. Um and uh Sydney was the next city that he travelled to and it was the one of the very first uh, fashion exhi- exhibitions that um, that came out. I had the pleasure uh and and uh the opportunity to work on it and um Um, we took over the, um, the NAB bank, uh, on Pitt street, uh, three levels of it. And, um, we ran the exhibition for about a month. It was one of the most successful fashion exhibitions that that's ever come to Australia. It was beautiful. It was, um, a retrospective of, um, uh, of the brand, um, with.
1: What kind of stuff was in the exhibition?
2: Well, um very early designs and textiles and, um, also, you know, dresses that were made for like Lady Di and, uh, Lady Diana and, um, um, you know, and other celebrities, um, and, um, uh, basically was really showcasing the practices of the brand and the inspiration behind it, especially in the textile and, 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 and screen printing, um, you know, and also in the design, um,
1: Did you have a favourite piece in the exhibition, one that you were kind of thinking, maybe we just won't send that one on? Uh, (laughs)
2: um, Yeah, the pin dress uh, that... um, I don't remember her name, but there was a famous pin dress um, uh, that was made for uh, a big celebrity. I'm really sorry, the... Oh, Liz Hurley actually. Yeah, Liz Hurley wore it. Um, so that was, uh, I think, everyone's favorite. Um, a lot of people came to see that because it was quite a controversial dress. It was um, the very first dress that the designer um, put out there in the marketplace that was treated as a celebrity piece in itself. Um, and it was during that time where the Supermodel was created, um, which was uh, instrumental by Gianni Versace and uh, George Michael. Um,
1: yeah. Cuz do you think that cuz that's I guess the other perception that people have of high fashion. How much do you think models really sort of conflate with fashion cuz I think people have this idea of this composite world where it's all like really beautiful women wearing really beautiful clothes and everyone's dripping in jewelry and that kind of thing. And I think that's sort of this image, but how much of that world was really part of actually building the Versace brand?
2: Well, um well it, it was the time of the supermodel um, and um, that was the main instrument in um, getting fashion out there and really elevating it to, um, to seeing it on television, um, on like ET News and you know, really making fashion a topical um, element uh, of a celebrity's life.
1: So that was more, I suppose, like celebrities who were models and it was, yeah, that, that that idea of the supermodel and now it seems like it's almost more of a big deal to have, you know, a movie star or a reality television star or something like that wearing your stuff. How does that sit with you?
2: Um, I don't really pay that much attention to it, to be honest. Um, uh, I think, uh, look, it's it's all part of a machine, I suppose, um, and uh, it exists, you can choose to you seem so partake about in it. it. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, um. are, we, are we
1: kind of getting it? Maybe why you left fashion here?
0: Oh. Uh, uh
2: Yes, a little bit, um, but look, that, that that was the reality. I really didn't pay that much attention to that. Um, my focus was primarily on learning, and um, uh, be, because th- th- there was a real element behind it, which was the practice, you know, of um, how to present things, and um, you know, and also there was uh, the creative practice as well, which is really essential. And um, I think these days the creative practice, you know, has been diluted. Um, there hasn't been enough focus, you know, on the design. Um, yeah, the, the focus is on who's wearing what. Yeah, which yeah,
1: seems a little bit strange to me in terms of people who view fashion as art. But you've kind of put the whole thing to one side and decided to just focus on art, pure and simple, which is something that we'll get to in a second. Um, we brought in. There's a whole bunch more songs that we need to get to, though. What we, what should we listen to? Um, uh, I
2: think it's. Uh, uh, I think we should listen to New York and Soul. i um, one of my favorite songs of all time, which is called It's Alright, I Feel It Um, It's uh, from an album that um, it was a collaboration between uh, George Benson and uh, Mika Paris Um, and um, New York and Soul was released back in 1996 and I remember it because I was in London at the time uh, that it came out and um, this was the most beautiful orchestrated album I've, I've ever listened to
1: you're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio. That's Bill Dimas, and this is New York and Seoul. ended rather abruptly that was New York and Seoul you're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio I've got Bill Dimas in here and I've been prodding you this whole time for like these traditional bitchy fashion people stories and you've been so (laughs) reluctant Uh to actually give us any but you were just saying that when you were working at Versace you had to fire a lot of people why was that?
2: Um, Yeah it was an interesting phenomena that was happening um, where a lot of people that came to work for the brand were really adopting the personalities of the designers um which was really bizarre because they didn't know how the designer behaved in their normal lives um but yeah so um uh, people were very rude um they lacked customer service and basically being pretty bitchy and um so we used to have very interesting uh, uh conversations where i used to tell people um you're on minimal wage. Um, you're acting like you own this place and you're the designer. Um, why? What's, 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 uh, what's the reason behind this? Um, and, um, yeah, so we used to have a lot of people come and go, um, you know, working there, therefore, um, yeah, it was just a very interesting phenomenon um, that um, the moment that people stepped in and started working for the brand that would uh, change their humanity, basically, and the way they're uh, related to other people. Because
1: it's an attitude that I've come across. I was just saying, you know, I, I don't go and buy nice clothes very often, but occasionally you have a special occasion and I have a... A wedding coming up that I'm going to. That I need to find a nice dress for. And I walk into a shop, being like, "I'm going to buy a nice dress." And I get this attitude from the sales staff, and I'm like, "I'm not going to spend four thousand bucks in one go in your store, yeah, but I do yeah. want to buy a dress."
2: Yeah, it really, um, yeah, it's 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 not a very nice thing that that uh, that happened to you. Um, um, I suppose my advice to you would be just to ignore it.
0: <laughs>
1: But yeah, it is, I guess when you were saying that, it started to make a lot of sense. You know, people adopt this persona of this really, you know, sort of, yeah, this idea of what a high fashion designer or salesperson should be like. And it furthers that sort of inaccessible aspect of it that I think a lot of people feel, which seems quite counterproductive, really.
2: Yes, yes, I agree.
1: <laughs> so we, doesn't
2: ha- It doesn't happen everywhere. No. Yeah. But it's very typical that it happens in the big fashion houses' environments.
1: So we've kind of covered why you left, but what you're doing now is almost the antithesis of that. What you're doing with Ambush, you were saying it's quite a similar ethos to FBI in that you try and find local artists and kind of give them a leg up and foster this sense of community, which seems like, yeah, quite the opposite of what you were experiencing towards the end of your job in fashion.
2: Yeah, um, look, we all evolve into um, the... uh, into the person that we want to be. Um, and this is um, the case uh, for myself and uh, John. Um, uh, look, we, we believe that um, in Australia we have uh, world-class talent, um, especially when it comes to, um, to contemporary art and street art um and yes um well, look we've we've just been really fortunate um that many years ago about 7 years ago our friends um were street artists and um they were working full-time jobs to support their art and you know their their vision was to become full-time artists but they couldn't really get uh, a lot of opportunities here there weren't really that many uh places that would um uh, show street art um you know there were very minimal places um you know, like China Heights was one gallery that we really looked up to when um when we first started um it was a great place um a lot of artists were showing there and um so we we, we moved into our warehouse in waterloo and um when we got the space we started Ambush and uh, started working with some of our friends and it's been really interesting in the last seven years to see how the some of um, these artists' careers have been transforming and um, started leaving their full-time jobs and becoming full-time artists. So which- you
1: have managed to see... Because that was exactly what I was about to ask you was whether those people who... We're kind of, you know, doing art on the side. of managed to make it a full time thing.
2: Yes, um, uh, yes, it's it's reality. It's actually happening, and it's been happening in the last seven years. It's a uh, a flourishing industry, and I think um it's been brought to a lot of people's attention. And um, one of our main objectives um, at the time, because we um we you know we had some. Um, influence um, with a lot of media contacts was to start chipping away the stereotypes that existed around street art. People associated it with vandalism, which is really bizarre. Um, but yeah, there were some misconceptions about street art and um, at, at the time and uh, that was influencing uh, the general public's um, perceptions um, on the art form. Therefore it was um, disabling um, uh, uh, the career of artists to um, to flourish. Um, therefore, um, yeah, we, um, you know, we started producing a lot of shows at the gallery and we started working, uh, with our corporate clients as well, um, uh, bringing, um, bringing this to their attention and, um, because we, we run an, um, a consultancy, John and I, which is um, a placemaking consultancy. So, therefore, we develop some opportunities to bring um, to start working in the public spaces.
1: Just quickly, what's a, what does placemaking mean in this context?
2: Uh, placemaking um, is when you work with uh, developers and also uh, local government and federal government in uh, activating public spaces and making them usable for the general public. You know, basically creating reasons for the public to use public spaces. Um, so that's what that's the idea of placemaking it's uh it's a very simple idea it, you know it can range from you know putting public seating and making a space actually functional to um uh producing public art um uh, or temporary public art installations uh where uh people visit the sites um so yeah that's that's what placemaking the definition of placemaking is
1: Let's have a listen to another one of the songs you've brought into play and then I'd like to talk to you about what you guys are working on at the moment because it does look very exciting. Well, at least you've made a very, very schmick video for it. (laughs) What will we listen to?
2: Um, I'd like to listen to Cadillac, um, which is from the Future Classic label, which um, we love those guys and congratulations to Future Classic for winning uh, awards uh, yesterday in New Zealand. Um, And the track is called Past Midnight.
0: Raise your glass for Sydney Craft
2: Beer Week, a celebration of Sydney's best brewers, breweries and drinking spots.
0: Playing host to 60 events over eight days, the festival brings together tap takeovers, beer high tea, craft beer crawls and more. Straighten up your beer goggles and check out the real stuff. October 19 to 26, right across Sydney. For tickets and details,
2: head to sydneycraftbeerweek.com. FBI sponsors. Are you an FBI supporter?
0: Win tickets at (laughs) fbiradio.com. J'ai
1: At Let in the Light from an album which was released this year, which Bill Dimas has been convincing me that I really need to go and listen to the whole thing. So thank you for the tip, Bill. <laughs> Bill has been my guest on Out of the Box for the last hour or so. You can always head to the program page if you're interested in any of the songs that he's brought into play now. Bill's a, a co-director of Ambush Gallery, and we've kind of been skirting around that the whole time. Um, and you were saying that you've been working with a lot of street artists and Doing what you were calling, what was it? Place? Was place wondering. making. Place making. I know, mm-hmm. Sia. You explained the whole concept <laughs> and I forgot what the word was. Um, but I was wondering how difficult it was to begin with to convince these corporate clients that street art was something that would make public spaces feel more inclusive and more safe rather than, you know, a lot of people associate street art with vandalism and vandalism with feeling unsafe. Was it difficult to convince a corporate client that, hey, street art will make people feel at home in this space?
2: Well, um, we we were actually quite lucky because a lot of clients at that time were interested in what we were doing with Ambush Gallery. And, um, they, um, they wanted to support us in one way or another through corporate social responsibility. And, uh, so we just came up with, um, some ideas of, um, uh, co-producing, uh, some projects, um, and giving it a go. And, um, we started as early as 2008. Um, we produced a couple of shows down in the city. And uh, we were really fortunate uh, that we worked with the Sydney Harbour Federation Trust for Outpost um, project on Cockatoo Island in 2011, which was um, a major property activation, uh, to be honest. Um, but um, our agenda was to produce a street art festival. And um, so that was uh, a clear demonstration that... Um, that it can be successful, um, and he brought a lot of people uh, into contact with street art, and especially um, with uh, Australian talent. Uh, therefore, um, the economics also uh, stacked up, um, and uh, for us, that was you know um, a very convincing case study.
1: Because you guys have been very busy. Ambush has been involved in a huge number of public art projects and you guys were doing all the art installations at FBI Turns 10 at Carriageworks recently. Yeah, which and was a fun event. It was a lot so, of fun. So. And this whole time you've also been working on something called Project 5. Can you tell us a bit about that?
2: Yes, uh, Project 5. Um, public, project 5 is a public art initiative. Um, uh, it started back in 2009. Uh, we commissioned four artists to be part of the project where we produce a three-day live art uh, event uh, where we um, it's a really an open air studio where uh, the four artists work um, um, in the presence of the public. Um, the artwork that they create uh, during the live art events goes to auction, and the money um, from the auction goes to uh, a charity organisation in the western suburbs called Information and Cultural Exchange. So it's a hundred uh, percent donation to the charity. So um, so Project Five in, is now in its fifth volume. Uh, which is fantastic. So we've been able to commission 20 artists to date. Um, We've raised uh, over $52,000 for the charity. And um, we held... uh, So Project 5, Volume 5 was um, um, on in September and it's still going. Um, And uh, we've got our uh, auction event uh, next Thursday, uh, which is going to be at the Commonwealth Bank Place down at Darling Quarter.
1: And we'll pop, we've put a link up on the program page, so if you head to fbiradio.com, go to the On Air tab, Programs and Playlists, there's a whole list of all the stuff that Bill's brought into play for you today and also a link to the RSVP and information about the project and the event as well.
2: Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, it's a really great cause, um, and uh, we've just been really fortunate to be able to produce that um, uh, Project 5. Um, uh, we've had the pleasure with working with um, very not- amazing artists um, here in Australia. Um, the Project Five Volume Five artists that we currently worked with um, were Adnate from Melbourne, uh, Jody Knowles from Western Australia, who currently lives in New South Wales or in Sydney, uh, Namska, uh who's from Sydney, and also Roan, um, who is from Melbourne.
1: And definitely worth checking out their stuff. They all individually do great work and it's quite a a breadth of the different disciplines within street art as well.
2: Yeah, that's right. And um, uh, uh, this time around we were able to engage the artists in a public art exhibition um, where they produced... site-specific works, um, that have gone into, um, uh, a public art space uh, called Open, uh, which we produce and also curate, which is down at Darling Quarter. So those, uh, those public artworks will be on display until the 20th of this, uh, of this month. Um, so there's still, uh, there's still a lot of elements of the project that are still happening. Um, last weekend we, uh, held the, um, the live art events down at Darling Quarter, which were a huge success. Um, yeah, Definitely and the charity auction. yeah, it busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been, it's, it's been a really great journey.
1: And again, yeah, if you want any information about those events or the artists themselves or more information about Bill or the songs he's played, you can always head to FBI Radio programs and playlists page and all the information will be up there. But we better get out of here. Beth Duglish is up next on lunch. You've got one last song to play for us.
2: Yes. Um, our last song is from Rufus uh, from their current album called Atlas and the song is Modest Life.
1: This has been out of the box on FBI Radio. Catch you next week.
0: This is beginning.
1: Pet on FBI 94.5.